This is People Every Day. Coming up, where is Peng Shuai? Digging into what we know about the missing Chinese tennis player who Naomi Osaka and other athletes are hoping to help find and protect. Plus, Monaco's Princess Charlene has now entered a treatment facility, and 30 by Adele is here to heal us all. It's November 19th. Hello, everyone. This is People Every Day. I'm your host, Janine Rubenstein, and it is Friday, Friday, beloved Friday. And guess who's owning it? And probably the whole weekend. Yep, Adele. 30, the singer's fourth studio album and first album since 2015, is here finally, and it is undoubtedly on repeat across the world. It's gotten rave reviews from critics and fans, and there's one song that I just can't with, okay? It's so good. To Be Loved is in itself a heartbreak opus. Lyrics like, God only knows how I've cried. I can't take another defeat. A next time would be the ending of me. Ugh. As my friend and cultural commentator Demetria Lucas put it on Instagram, now Adele can go sit down until 34, 35. We're good. (laughs) All right. Now, for this next story, we've been seeing headlines about Princess Charlene of Monaco for a while now. She was away from her family in South Africa for six months, being treated for an ENT infection, which required a number of surgeries. Her absence has elicited lots of rumors from the public. And while She's now been home for two weeks, and we're finding out she's not doing well. We have exclusive information directly from her husband, Prince Albert himself, who you may have seen in that new photo of him standing out in all of his royal wear with their two young children holding signs saying, we miss you, mom. He said the princess is currently in a treatment facility. Talking about her return from South Africa, he said, quote, It went pretty well in the first few hours, and then it became pretty evident that she was unwell. There's been so much speculation surrounding Princess Charlene for months. That's why I'm glad people's Charlotte Triggs is here to dig in on the details. Hi, Charlotte. Hey, Janine. How you doing? Good. So can you give us a timeline of everything that's happened with Princess Charlene this year? Because it's been kind of all over the place. I mean, this is pretty crazy. So she had been in South Africa for a surgical procedure that she had to have. And then subsequent to that... Months and months and months went by where she was not fit to fly. Allegedly, she couldn't fly because um, she had this, you know, ear, nose, and throat situation. To call it suspicious might sound dramatic, but people were starting to really wonder what is going on because it's months away from her small children. She's got six-year-old twins. Yeah. You know, she was spending all this time separated from her family, that it was really starting to become very dramatic and people wondering, like, what is happening? And then there was there would be a complication that's preventing her from returning on schedule and then another complication that's preventing her from returning as planned. Okay, so we know she's in a treatment facility, yeah, but can you give us any specifics? Like, did she enter voluntarily? Were there specific issues cited? He's giving specifics of what it's not, he said, it's not a relationship issue. It's not COVID. It's not cancer. It's not plastic surgery. It's like, okay, what's left on the list? Like, what does one go for treatment for? We don't know exactly, but he's describing her as having lost a huge amount of weight, being unable to eat, unable to sleep. So we don't know specifically what this is, but we. But he also said that she voluntarily wanted to go and knows that she needs help and that they, as a family... Basically, he describes, he paints a picture of almost what sounds like an intervention. 
an intervention for what? He doesn't say, but that the family mm-hmm. like got her in a room and had her say it for them that she believes she needs help. And then they arranged for her to go to this treatment facility somewhere in continental Europe that's not Monaco because they said in Monaco she wouldn't have enough privacy. What did he say about the kids? I mean, you bring it up. You yourself have twins. Uh, you know, I, I have kids. Like, I'm, I'm trying to imagine being a mom and having to be away, being so ill that I have to be away from them for so long. So is there any plan for how they'll be able to see mom? It's it's all, like, kind of crazy. I mean, he said that basically, like, because at the type of treatment facility that she's in, that it generally, there's required, like, at least a three-week period where the person just rests and doesn't have any um, mm-hmm. any visits. So they're at least several weeks out from being able to even visit their mom. And he said that he basically told them that they want her to get better and that um, they'll see her someday soon, which is, all sounds very bizarre. I mean, I, I'm loath to speculate what it might be, but I think they're painting a picture of something that could only be either a depression issue or a substance abuse issue. You know, he's like cornered it like into a a zone based on everything that he's excluded from the list of things that it could be. Next up, what in the world happened to Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai? Sports journalist Kavitha Davidson drops in to break down this international mystery. Stick around. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce Season 5 of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. I am back now to talk about a story that has been making headlines all around the world. If you've been online, you've probably seen the name Peng Shuai trending on social media. The former world number one doubles champion hasn't been seen in weeks after she accused a former vice premier in China's Communist Party of sexual assault. Concern over Peng's whereabouts further intensified after her post about the incident was deleted and her social media accounts were scrubbed. What's more, earlier this week, Chinese state media published an email it claims is from Peng, in which she says that she's safe and that the sexual assault allegations she made two weeks ago aren't true. The mystery surrounding her whereabouts have developed into a full-blown international controversy, with some of the world's most famous athletes and the UN calling for an investigation. The Women's Tennis Association is also threatening to pull out of China if it doesn't see proof of her well-being. There's a lot to unpack, and I'm so lucky to be joined by Kavitha Davidson, sports and culture writer for The Athletic, who's been covering the story. Hi, Kavitha. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, let's start at the beginning. On November 2nd, Peng posted on Weibo accusing Zhang Gaoli of forcing her to have a sexual relationship with him before willingly consenting to become his mistress. Of the 2018 encounter, she wrote, quote, I never gave consent 
crying the entire time. So walk us through what else she said and what happened after she posted that message. Yeah, I mean, she she posted a, a very long, it was a very long message, and she described being basically coerced uh, into having sex with, with this very high-ranking official um, uh, in the Chinese government. And, uh, you know, she was invited to his house uh, to apparently play tennis for him or with him. Um, and, and that's where, where, uh, where the assault uh, supposedly happened. Um, and and then she she did describe you know she she said very emotionally I'm not a good girl and she's she feels like a hypocrite because she did engage in uh, what she described as a consensual um, extramarital relationship with him after that encounter um, and and she spoke very emotionally also about his use of power and kind of some of the promises that he made to her romantically um, but she spoke mostly about shame and I think that's the thing that that came through mm. the most for me when I when I read the post. And I, I do want to just caveat this by saying I do not speak uh, any Chinese languages and, and I'm going off of English translations, which are are inexact to say to say the least. But, um, you know, the, the basic gist of what she was saying definitely does come through. Well, earlier this week, we started to see statements from other athletes and the Women's Tennis Association. So who's spoken out and, and what have they said and, and who else is putting pressure on China? I know Naomi Osaka is a name that keeps bubbling up. Naomi Osaka, for sure. Um, you know, Serena Williams, Kvitova, Petrova, you've seen basically down the line, Andy Murray, um, who is uh, who has always been a, a great ally of, of women's tennis players. Um, you've seen down the line, some of the biggest names in tennis and, and in particular women's tennis come out in support and, and basically putting pressure on China to answer for, for her whereabouts. The WTA um, also, the, the head of the WTA has said unequivocally that they are very concerned concerned about what has happened here. They do not believe that the email Chinese state media put out is is true. Um, and and they are threatening to pull um, their partnership with China, which is, is not a small thing, I have to say, that China, you know, in the last five to 10 years has really ramped up its investment in tennis. Um, a lot of futures tournaments, juniors tournaments, and now the WTA finals are held in China. They bid for those tournaments. So for the WTA to threaten to pull out of what was a 10-year deal signed in 2019 is a huge deal. You're talking millions and millions of dollars. Wow. Well, you mentioned it there. Let's talk about this email. It was released on Wednesday after this story started to take off. So what does this email say and why are so many skeptical that it was actually written by Peng? Yeah. So this this email, you know, basically says, hello, this is Peng. She said the news in, in that release, I, you know, probably referring to her own social media message, including the allegation of sexual assault is not true. I've just been resting at home and everything is fine. The way that this email reads, and I don't say this lightly, this sounds hyperbolic, but it reads a little bit like a hostage note. Um, and I, I'm not saying that necessarily Pung is being held hostage, but the WTA itself has said that they doubt the veracity of uh, and the origins of this of this email. Um, mm. I think it should be noted that this email was only released in English to English-speaking media. It has not been covered by Chinese media locally, um, and it was obviously released by Chinese state media. So there are a lot of reasons to doubt the veracity and the origins of this email, especially if you followed anything with, um, you know, Chinese, uh, the, the, with Chinese state media, and the way that messaging and narratives and the media is controlled in China. Um, I, I don't think that it's out of left field to doubt or to question where this email actually came from. 
Wow. Well, let's talk about Pung as a tennis player. I mean, I mentioned earlier that she was a former number one. She's won titles at Wimbledon. Introduce us to her as an athlete. Is she like a major figure in China as well? Yeah, I mean, as as much as China has made strides in uh, in its international um, uh, place in in tennis, you don't really have an, a number of huge names. Li Na is probably the most famous Chinese tennis player, uh, and she won won two. Uh, she won the French Open and the Australian Open. She's won two Grand Slams uh, about ten years ago. Um, Peng is probably the most uh, successful on the court since Li Na. She was, as you said, ranked world number one in in tennis. Um, and she peaked at, at number 14 in, in singles. Um, she's won two singles titles, 22 doubles. She won a gold medal at the 2010 Asian Games. So for, for more than a decade here, Pung has been on on the scene. And anybody who has been, you know, I mentioned earlier how, how much China has been bidding for some of these smaller tournaments. A, a lot of tennis fans, maybe they only pay attention to the four Grand Slams. But anybody who's been paying attention to any of these other tournaments, anybody who's competed in these other tournaments has certainly come across. Peng Shui. Yeah. So another major wrinkle to this, just taking it forward, China is actually set to host the Winter Olympics in a matter of months. So do you think we'll see any blowback there? Have any athletes said they'll pull out? We haven't seen athletes threaten to pull out yet, um, but there is significant pressure on the IOC to do or say anything here. And just to give you a little bit of context, in 2012, in the London Olympics, Qatar, Saudi Arabia and Brunei sent a woman to the Olympics for the first time. The IOC also made a really big deal about that. And they've taken a lot of credit in the years since for being a bastion of women's access to sport and women's access to democracy as a result of that. So in, in the lead up to Beijing, I don't think it's out of bounds to expect the IOC to do or say something in this situation. Um, whether or not they will, I think, <laughs> you know, you can you can be cynical as I as I tend to be and say there's way too much money at stake here. Um, you know, after the tenuous Olympics that we saw in in Tokyo, the IOC is going to take what it can get, and having a major partner like Beijing, um, like China, is not something that they would want to rankle. But at the same time, uh, you know, you you have seen pressure like this exist on the IOC before. Um, and so I think that, you know, you can, you will, you will start to see a lot more national and international pressure, either from athletes or for gover- from governing bodies. President Joe Biden said uh, just yesterday, just on Thursday, that, uh, that he would consider uh, an, a, a boycott of, of China, uh, of, of, of the Beijing Olympics, not necessarily just because of this, but because of other human rights violations. So I think definitely you will continue to see that kind of pressure heightened. That was sports and culture writer for The Athletic, Kavitha Davidson, on 35-year-old missing tennis player Peng Shuai. For more on this story, head over to People.com. And now, something to make you smile heading into this weekend. Uh, Giving up your spot as the only child can be tricky, but a rosy-cheeked toddler has the handbook for doing it just right. Two-year-old Caden from New England was thrilled to meet his new baby brother, Jace, and could barely contain his excitement, but he had a plan. Enter the room with a playful greeting, then have your tickle fingers ready. (laughs) Here's how his first encounter went as a big brother. Aw, tickles and laughter always win. Hope all of you listening have some of both this weekend. Talk to you all soon. 
People Every Day is produced by Julia Weaver with help from Fallon Harge, Darby Masters, and Aliza Sessler. Executive produced by Christina Everett and mixed by Mary Dew, Vahid Frazier, and Josh Fisher. People's executive producers are David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. Special thanks to Nikki Etor, Will Lee, and the incredible staff at iHeartRadio and People.